Hello, hello, hello. I'm Jan Goldstein, and this is all that matters. A young woman who believes she has nothing to live for. An old woman with little time to live. What can they possibly learn from each other? We'll talk about that in a moment. Happy 2023. Gathering here as we do weekly for a roughly 12 to 15 minute reframing of life, a, a boost, I hope, every week. Some of you write in that you like listening to this as you get ready for bed, that it's calming. Others say you listen to it first thing in the morning as you get ready for a new week. However you listen, I hope that it's meaningful and that you're passing it on. Because passing on is part of our purpose. Transmitting, connecting. And I'm looking forward to you connecting All That Matters with Jan Goldstein to your family and friends this year. And at this moment in time. And thanks for doing so. Once again, you can write in at jangoldstein.com. Let me know any questions or anything you might have going on. Check out the books. Check out the blog. And um, thanks for exploring. So I've talked before about the fact that the name for this podcast comes from my first novel, All That Matters, uh, which dealt with a young woman basically coming to the decision that her life is over. She... uh, has lost her mom to a tragic accident. Uh, Her dad is busy with a new family, had long ago divorced when her mom and uh, and she, Jennifer is her name, uh, was younger. And now in her early 20s, um, she finds that her dad is busy with his new family and little child. Her mom has died, and the man she thought was the one turns out not to be. And she decides to go down to the beach in Santa Monica in California with a bottle of uh, Xanax and a a bottle of tequila, a vial of Xanax, a bottle of tequila, and to lay down and to uh, end her life. And she records a message as she does and basically how her life adds up to death at that moment. And... She also reasons nobody really notices anyway, do they? Life is so busy. The world is so busy. No one will notice anyway. And sure enough, as things would happen after she lays down in this haze of drugs and alcohol, um, one of the machines that combs the beach out in California, and I'm sure other places, they have these machines that attach this kind of giant metal comb and they kind of comb through the sand to steady the sand uh, uh, every so often. And one of them nearly runs over her, notices her, finds her, calls emergency, and she ends up in a hospital and they end up pumping her stomach and bringing her back to life. And basically her grandmother who lives in New York, who's on her last legs um, and mourning her her daughter, 
Jennifer's mother, um, hears about it and manages to come out from New York City to the hospital where Jennifer is in Los Angeles, steal her out of the psychiatric ward, and take her on a journey across America to help her fall in love with life. And it was thrilling to have this book um, chosen by the Book of the Month Club. Marianne Williams called it a heartwarming novel, Embracing Life's Infinite Possibilities. Uh, Richard Carlson, such a dear friend, the late Richard Carlson, New York Times bestselling author of Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, called it miraculous, life-affirming, heartbreaking. And um, Dr. Rachel Naomi Remen said, it's a book for anyone who's ever doubted that love can heal or little old ladies can be heroes because this grandmother takes her granddaughter under her wing and tries to teach her about the impact and purpose and meaning in life. I talked about Rachel Naomi Remen recently, and I thought I'd share with you a little bit of this book which I've done here and there, smatterings of it. It may inspire you to want to read it. I don't know. Um, I hope so. But it it was part of the humor of it while I was writing it. I did not imagine this scene that I'm about to read to you. Instead, the the character of the grandmother had come alive within me to such an extent that she literally whispered this scene to me. And I was quite taken by surprise. And this happens to writers. If the characters truly take hold, they plant themselves inside you and they take on a life of their own. Perhaps you've heard that from other writers. Or if you're a writer, you know that. They speak to you. And you get lost in that world and they suddenly take you in a direction you went, whoa, where did that come from? So what has happened is the grandmother, Gabby, a Holocaust survivor has taken her granddaughter and they're back in her apartment in New York and she's hoping that she can share some time with her granddaughter and re-inspire her to live. But one night, while Gabby is sleeping, Jennifer takes off and finds herself in Central Park. And I'll read to you from chapters 15 to 17 of All That Matters. In the park, Jennifer watched an elderly couple walking hand in hand under the street lamp. The gentleman wore a long gray coat and an old-fashioned fedora. The woman was in a full-length dress that looked to be about as ancient as she was, with a white woolen cape drawn about her. As they strolled arm in arm, Jennifer thought she would tape them. She fiddled with the camera case she had brought and then thought, what's the point? The gentleman paused to blow on the woman's hands, rubbing them vigorously in his to warm them. He then kissed the back of each hand. They smiled at each other and walked on. Jennifer allowed herself a sad smile that vanished quickly. She walked for some time before finding the spot she had chosen sat down on the glacier rock overlooking a small pond below. Jennifer caught sight of the stars reflected back at her on the surface of the water. 
She sat for a while, staring up at the night sky. She then pulled the camera out and trained it on the small points of light, but found the machine was too weak to pick them out. Reaching into the pocket of her coat, Jennifer pulled out a brown vial, laying it on her lap. She slipped a small bottle of water out of her other pocket and took a long swig. She picked up the vial, studied it, then glanced up at the stars. I can't do this anymore, you know? She whispered to the phone that she was recording with. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Night, Mom. Love you. You too, Nana. She lifted the camera one more time and tried again to focus it on the star-studded heavens. She could make out only blurry lights. She put the phone down and took in the heavens with her naked eye. With no warning, a shooting star arced across the darkness, causing Jennifer to gasp in surprise. She followed its trail before the brilliant light flamed out and faded into a cold October night. Gabby awoke with a dull headache. She looked around to get her bearings, realizing she had fallen asleep in her own bed and sadly remembered events of the night before. Noticing the Afghan tucked around her, she was touched. Jennifer had wanted to hadn't wanted to disturb her and had evidently retired to Gabby's bedroom for the night. Getting to her feet, the grandmother noticed the time on the clock above the mahogany side table. A quarter to eight in the morning, for someone used to rising with the dawn, this was truly sleeping in. Putting on her slippers, she shuffled through the hall to the kitchen, put on the coffee, then made her way to her bedroom to check if Jennifer might be ready for her morning cup. Finding the bed undisturbed, its odd-shaped pillows where she always put them, she froze. Jennifer might have gotten up early and made the bed in the exact same fashion as she always did, but something told Gabby otherwise. Alarmed, the older woman called out Jennifer's name. As she feared, her granddaughter did not answer. Panicking, Gabby rushed to the front hallway, awkwardly slipping on the throw rug in her desperation. Reaching out to steady herself against the wall, she began coughing and and gasping for breath. And then she saw it. Propped up there against the front door, a small white envelope with her name on it. Gabby's heart was racing with fear as she nervously fumbled with the unsealed envelope. Pulling from it a note on yellow lined paper, it read simply, I love you, Nana, now and for always. And it was signed, Your Maidala, the Yiddish for your little girl. Gabby's head felt as if it would explode. She screamed, No, 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 don't, my little one, please. As she quickly changed into pants and a pullover, her breathing grew labored and raspy. Donning the first footwear, she got her hands on a pair of floppy black rain boots. She snatched a ski cap and a heavy wool coat from the closet and burst out the door. As she hurried down the stairs, gasping, pounding the railing impatiently, she realized she hadn't the slightest idea where to go. 
She knew only that she must find Jennifer and stop her before it was too late, before she lost her granddaughter forever. Emerging into the cold day, she called for Jennifer several times, looking fearfully up and down the block. She closed her eyes to shut out the terror engulfing her. Think, Gabby, she told herself. Where would she go? Where? Where? She knew of only one place. Gabby ran as fast as her frail legs would carry her, narrowly avoiding bumping into two nannies pushing infants in their carriages. She didn't wait for the walk signal at 72nd Street, leaving a slew of honking cars in her wake. And then, wheezing badly, she was in the park, about to pass out. She paused at a bench, hanging onto it, overcome by coughing. A jogger passed nearby, and overhearing the commotion, made a detour. "'Can I help you?' he asked, leaning over her solicitously. Still puffing, Gabby looked up in confusion. The young man's eyes were deep blue, dressed in an NYU sweatshirt, purple running shorts, and a Yankee cap. He appeared to be in his mid-twenties, strong and healthy, she thought. She squinted and swallowed hard, gasping for breath, studying his solid build, the sweat pouring off his body. And just like that, she was struck with inspiration. Startling the jogger with her sudden fearness, fierceness, Gabby barked out an order worthy of a wounded commander-in-chief. My granddaughter, she said imperiously, puffing and wheezing. No time. Bend down now, please. Somewhat bewildered, the runner hesitated. Perhaps she had Alzheimer's or she was lost? There's no time. Do it now, Gabby demanded. And this time, out of an instinct for self-preservation, the young man kneeled down. To his utter amazement, Gabby clambered onto his back like a jockey atop a racehorse. Perched aloft her newly acquired younger legs, she cried out in an invigorated voice, To the castle! Shake the leg God give you and giddy up! so it is. Gabby takes off on the back of this young man who provides her with fresh legs and heads for Belvedere Castle, a front for a old-time fairy tale castle that is in Central Park, for she believes that's where she'll find her granddaughter, and she must make it in time. The book, this novel, taught me a lot, a lot about what matters in life in the writing of it. I hope that in your reading of it or in your listening to it, that you too will be inspired to find out a little bit more about what matters to you. Thanks for listening. Until next week, I'm Jan Goldstein, and this is All That Matters. Matters.